Hi, I'm Kaylee Moore. And I'm Emma Samasco. Welcome to Freelance Writing Coach, your go-to podcast for building a freelance writing business. In each 20-minute episode, we'll do a deep dive into one area of business with the hope that our insights as successful freelance writers will educate and inspire you. B2B is an absolutely fabulous niche. That's why Kaylee and I work in the space. Today's sponsor is the B2B Writing Institute, which is run by Sarah Griesenbach, an incredibly talented former teacher turned freelance writer with 10 years experience in business-to-business writing. Sarah can teach you how to show, not sell, which means educating and explaining what you do rather than pushing sales. If you're interested in writing blogs, white papers, and case studies for B2B clients, even if you have no experience, head to b2bwritinginstitute.com and sign up for Sarah's email newsletter. I subscribe and I can tell you it'll make you laugh and make more money at the same time. Automatic Evergreen, a fully managed newsletter service that uses your existing content and one-to-one interviews to develop fresh content for a weekly email newsletter. Their team of experts creates the landing page, newsletter copy, and template. They even upload, format, and schedule the email so you never need to log into the email provider. Their goal is to provide a well-written, cash-flowing, on-time newsletter every single week that requires little to no time from you. Schedule a free discovery call today at yourweekly.email. So we are back with another season of Freelance Writing Coach, and today we're going to be talking a little bit about how to screen prospective clients to avoid bad eggs and to maximize good experiences as a freelance writer. And I think that this is an important one to talk about because it's really easy to get excited about a job and say yes to it and to kind of put all of your eggs in that basket, and then you get down the road a little ways and you're like, oh my God, what have I done here? And you regret it and you feel like, what do I do now? I'm I'm stuck in this situation. This is terrible. So screening is a big part of a freelance writer's job. And it's something that is kind of an art, I think. It takes a little bit of trial and error to figure out. Luckily, you and I have been doing this for a decade now. And so we have quite a bit of experience to share. And so that's what we're going to do today. So my first question for you, Emma, Let's start with an anecdote here. Let's start with a little story. Tell me about a time that you maybe didn't have the best screening process in place just yet, and you got yourself into a scenario where you were like what I just described, where you were like, oh my God, why have I signed on for this job? And how did that happen? Yeah, great question. So the first time that it happened to me in some ways was the worst time. I had just started freelancing. I was like a couple months in. And I think this problem of getting a client and being like, oh no, this was a bad idea often happens when you're first starting out because you're willing to take on all different kinds of projects at different kinds of rates. You're not sure what you want to do yet. And for me, someone got in touch with me about an SEO project. And even though I consider myself more of a writer than an SEO specialist, I do have a background in SEO. So They basically wanted me to help them get a page to rank or like the brand name to rank even. Like they didn't have a website at all and they were going to be on a TV show. So they wanted when people Googled their their name for it to come up. It was pretty straightforward. It meant like it really was honestly straightforward work. But the person that I was working for was 
super demanding. Like they weren't paying me very much to do the work. They wanted to have calls several times per week. They wanted me to collaborate with like a PR agency they hired. And I just felt like, oh my gosh, this is not worth it. Like I didn't sign up for this full-time job and to be on these calls constantly. And I just felt like the interesting thing about clients that are quote bad eggs unquote is that I often don't think that the client has bad intentions. Like in this case, the client was such a nice guy, but it was just a really bad fit for what my skill was. And like, I hadn't properly scoped it. I just was kind of like, okay, I'm going to do this. I think I charged them $1,500 for what should have been like the six or $7,000 project. Like this is kind of the gulf between what I had thought it would be and then what it ended up being. And so when I look back at that, I think there were like a couple mistakes on my end. First was just like improper scoping. And I think some of that was just due to inexperience and like naivete, right? Like I just didn't know what was going into it. And then I also didn't know anything about how to set boundaries to say like, I don't take meetings, or if I do take meetings, I only take this many meetings, or I'm not willing to collaborate with a PR team. I only need one stakeholder that I'm going to interface with. And I do think those boundaries can depend a little bit on the work that you do, the type of clients that you work for, and even the particular project. But those are some mistakes that I made. I'm curious from you before we get into kind of how to screen these clients out, what has been your experience with this? Like when have you stumbled and kind of messed up? Yeah, mine was early on too. It wasn't a one-time thing either. I mean, I made this mistake over and over again just because I felt like everything was so precarious all the time. I felt like, oh, I have to say yes to this because I need the money. I need to take this job. It seems like a good opportunity. I can do it. Like I can do the work, so I should just do it. Like I should just suck it up and, and tolerate this even though it's not a great fit. And so what would happen was I would not ask enough questions at the beginning of the process. And I would get into these projects that I thought was maybe a simple website copy project or writing an ebook. And I would find out that there was no groundwork laid for the foundational pieces that I really needed to do a good job. Like they had no content strategy. They had no customer personas. They had no real clear picture of what it was that they actually wanted. And what happens when they don't have those things in place is that you can never hit the mark because there is no mark. And so I would spend hours and hours and I mean, just days, weeks, months doing revisions because it was just like, well, we're not exactly sure what we want, but we know this isn't it. And so it was just like chasing my tail for weeks and weeks. And, you know, I, I wanted to prove myself. I wanted to do a good job for the client and I wanted to get paid. So I would continue to do these things. And so that's why now, further down the road, I've learned to ask those questions up front. And we'll get into that a little bit more. But it was just so exhausting to keep doing this over and over. And it's often a case in those scenarios, I think of like too many cooks in the kitchen too. You mentioned like having a single point of contact. When you don't set that expectation up front, so often you get two, three, four, sometimes a whole department worth of people who are chiming in on the writing that you're delivering. And it's just a disaster because everybody thinks that they're the best writer and wants to put their own stamp on it. And you just, oh, it's just never ending. So it's, yeah, I've been there. I've made the mistake and it still slips through sometimes if I'm rushing or if I'm, you know, if it's somebody that I've worked with before and I kind of give them the benefit of the doubt and then we get into it, into the weeds of the project. And I'm like, oh man, this is, 
this is not what I expected. So it's not something I think you are entirely immune to no matter how long you've been doing it. Yeah, I think it still happens to me occasionally. And I think that we, as many like safeguards and guardrails that we put in place, this can still happen. So I think if anyone out there is listening and is like, this keeps happening to me, there are definitely things that you can do. And at the same time, I think sometimes you have everything in place. The client answered the questions correctly in all the ways, or you maybe have like, this happens to me sometimes where I have like a little bit of a sense that it's maybe not a good fit, but I want the work because I need the money and it fits into what I want to do. And so I say yes, and then I end up regretting it. So no one is immune and that's okay. So why don't we switch and talk a little bit about things that you can do to weed out these bad clients or bad projects. And I think, Kaylee, you and I use some of the same strategies to do this, but I'm sure that we have different ones. I'll start by saying that one of the things that I did very pretty early on was be really clear about meetings and saying like, I have a Calendly link. If you want to schedule a meeting with me, you can use the link. I'm not available for day of calls. And that was a big thing because I would have clients come to me, prospective clients too, being like, can you jump on a call right now? That's sort of like a small thing. I think there's some big picture things that we can do as well. Maybe you can talk through a little bit of how you try to combat that today. Yeah. So for me, we've done an episode on this before where I talked about, I hate getting on phone calls, even if it's like a prospective project. So what I've done is I have a template email that I send that basically outlines my entire process, everything that I would say to a client on one of those initial screening calls in email form. So it's got my rates, it's got my turnaround times, my process step-by-step, my next available start date. If I have like a minimum that I require for new clients, sometimes I do that when I'm I'm really busy just because I'm like, I don't want to onboard a new client and go through all of the work of getting up to speed on their process for like a one-off assignment, that sometimes is a good tool. And again, we've talked about that before too in our pricing episode and packaging where we got into all of those kind of ways you can screen things that way. But what's been really beneficial is that oftentimes when people reach out and they say, hey, I got your name from such and such, I wondered if you could help with this project. There's like a few very specific things that they need to know right off the bat. And it just saves a ton of time if you can anticipate those needs and lay them out ahead of time. Again, it's things like when's your next start date? What's your turnaround time? Like, how do you bill? What's your pricing? What does that look like? And being very specific on those things too. So I've seen a couple other freelance writers do things like I charge $750 per 1,000 words. Don't make the client do math. Like make it as clear as possible. Don't make them do any like calculation whatsoever. Again, it just leads to wasting both parties' time. So that's part of it. And then I have screening questions on my end too. So again, like do you have the very basic things that I would need in place to do a good job for you? Do you have a content strategy? Do you have your customer personas? Like who am I writing for? Do you know? Because if you don't know, I can't know. And that's not work that I do. I can recommend somebody who does, but again, like, We need to be very clear on where you're at in the process. And so just having that template email saves so much time. And a lot of the time, I'll be totally honest, it gets people to just drop off. Like they totally ghost. They never respond to that email. And that's fine because that tells me that it wasn't a good match. But it saved me the time of getting on the phone 
And it saved them time too, right? So it's respectful to both parties. What about you? How do you approach it? Yeah, I approach it similarly, but it does make me think as you're talking about this that I think people like don't want to put up boundaries or tell prospective clients about how they work because they need the work and they don't want to send someone away if it's potentially good and interesting. And I just want to say that like that has not been my experience that I think the screening pretty much always helps and you can always be a little bit flexible if someone comes to you with a project that you think is really interesting. It's not about not being flexible. It's more about making sure that everybody's on the same page for not just what the work is, but kind of how you are going to work together and what those expectations are. And to that end, my process is a little bit different. So I usually have people email me. I send them an email back that is tells them a little bit about what I do and what I specialize in. If in the initial email that they send me, it's obvious that they're not a good fit just based on like what they do. Like if they wanted social media copy, which I don't do, I would say like, hi, I do X, Y, and Z. I don't do social media copy though. If you're looking for that, I might make some recommendations, but I might not. But if somebody seems like reasonably they could be a good client, I get them on the phone. And part of why I want to get them on this phone is like screening for me. Like, will they show up to that initial call? Like, I need people that are like actually going to show up and follow through. What are they like when I talk to them? Like, are they like pretty reasonable person or are they kind of bulldozing or steamrolling me? And that's my opportunity to ask questions. Like, I, I always ask what their budget is because if their budget for a project is like $500 to do a web copy project that should cost in the thousands of dollars, like it's probably not a good fit, right? I ask them their budget. I ask their timeline. I ask about scope and and how many, like if it's someone that needs long form content articles, like how many of these articles do you actually need over what period of time? I try and get that all done in that initial call. And then I send a proposal and the proposal outlines the project process. And then after that, Once they've signed the proposal, they receive an email that's like, hey, I'm so excited that we're going to get started. Here's what you can expect from me. And here's like what I expect from you. And it's like a bulleted list of like almost boundary stuff. And almost all of it I've gone over with them already. But it's things like, hey, if you need to schedule a meeting, here's my Calendly link. You can expect me to respond to emails within 48 hours unless it's on the weekend. If I go on vacation, I'm going to tell you. You know, it even has a bullet that's like, if anything comes up that, like, I don't know how I word it, but it's basically like, if any issues come up, like, I'm going to talk to you about them. And there's like just a number of things. There's something about revisions. There's something about conducting interviews. And then I have what I expect from you. And it's like, make yourself available for meetings and provide me with materials so I can do my best work. Please respond to my emails within 48 hours. Even if you just say, I'm not sure yet, I'll get back to you. There's these other things that I expect from them, right? And it's basically me saying like, hey, in order for us to collaborate, it's not just about me delivering something for you. It's like, I also need you to be a partner and provide me what I need to do a good job, right? Because it's ultimately all about me providing them with the value that they're paying for. But if they're not available or they, like you kind of had mentioned like, oh, if they don't have a style guide or they don't have a strategy, then I can't do good work, right? I think that that's at the heart of it. 
Ever heard test your marketing but have no idea how to do that? Social, Google, cold pitches, newsletters, marketing can be an exhausting grind. What if you knew how to choose the best channels for your business? Growth Trackers is a membership for creative business owners who want to stay booked with less energy. Take charge of your leads when you learn how to find your get booked formula. Become a growth tracker at supereasydigital.com slash growth trackers. Use code full-time freelance for 5% off your membership. For many freelance writers, working alone can feel satisfying, except when it doesn't. Without a collaborator to share ideas and opinions, you may feel blocked. A survey on LinkedIn even revealed that 52% of writers struggle with being stuck. If you're one of them, book a session with Ivy Magic. Creative director Jeannie Ivy's vast experience collaborating with writers can help you unlock your brightest, most effective work yet. Learn more at thativymagic.com slash collaboration. So what if they come to you and they're like, well, can you help us do that too? Because I've had that happen before. And there have been times where I've been like, well, yeah, actually, that might be an interesting project. And that was years ago when I was like still trying on different hats as far as writing goes. But what I found is like, oh, my God, it can just if that's not what you specialize in and you know somebody who's like that's their thing that they do. I just feel like, number one, the quality of work is so much better when you hand it off to somebody else to do that piece of the puzzle. And number two, it keeps you from getting super burnt out on working with that client. Because when you have to start at like the very basic level, and maybe it's not something you're super experienced in, or you haven't done a ton of, so you're kind of learning as you go, it can become a monster of a project. So I'm curious, like, do you ever do that if somebody asks? These days, people don't really ask. And I think that's because I'm doing better than ever screening, right? Like, I think that is kind of the goal is that if your screening process is really good, it's not just screening. It's also like making sure we haven't talked about this, but it's also in marketing yourself that you make it really clear what you do. So it's clear to clients that come to me that I do case studies. So I have a lot of clients come to me and they want case studies because there it is on my website and people know that I do case studies. Like you might refer someone to me, Kaylee, that wants case studies because you know that's what I do. I don't have a lot of people coming to me these days wanting content marketing strategy because like that is not something I advertise that I do. It's just not something I do a lot of. I'm finding that now being very established, it's pretty rare that people are coming to me with that kind of ask, at least for a content strategy. What I will say, and this is kind of interesting and I'm exploring it right now, is that I've recently come back to work after maternity leave and I've been looking for new projects and it's been tougher than ever to prospect and find these projects. And I've been saying yes to things that I normally wouldn't. And rather than feeling like I'm being steamrolled by these clients that I said yes to, I'm actually having a lot of fun with these new types of projects. One is in an industry that I don't usually work in for a type of client that is unusual for me. And even the structure of our arrangement is different. One is like I had a case study client who was like, I really want to do case studies, but I need to do a customer survey first to find out what people even think about the project and identify some good people for a case study. And they asked me to run a survey. And Norm, I think in another time, I would have been like, no, I don't do surveys. But this time I was like, oh, I can totally do a survey. That would be really interesting. And it could be like a really nice offering to go along with my case study services. 
I mean, does that sort of answer your question about like, like, do you, are you finding that people are like, oh, can you do this too a lot these days? Yeah. And we'll talk about that. We have another episode down the road where I think that this will be relevant, but yeah, with it being such a weird time right now, I think that the role of the freelance writer is kind of evolving. And with these AI tools that are able to kick out drafts of varying quality, which we'll talk about as well, we have to kind of think about how we can be flexible and find our evolving place within this space, I guess. And I think in my case, I still really like to have kind of a roster of people who do things that I get asked to do, but don't really love to do or don't specialize in. So again, that's things like building a style guide, building out a content strategy. And I even have like some referral systems in place for those. So since I get asked those questions regularly, I'll kick it to like a go-to person. And if it ends up working out for them, they'll send me like a cut of that job that they did because it saves them a ton of time and prospecting and like finding work because I'm constantly referring to them. And it's good for me because it helps take that piece of the puzzle off my plate. So I think that that's a good thing to have. And another strong case for building relationships with fellow freelancers who do kind of adjacent types of work sort of related to this and maybe a complete tangent. I don't know. I'm coming off of food poisoning. So my brain is like liquid right now. But so you talked about you like to get people on the phone and, you know, I'm very anti-phone call. I love asynchronous communication. One question that's been coming up lately is like, should you charge for these initial discovery calls? No, no. Oh my gosh. I'm so against that. I'm sorry. I have to interrupt you. That is like so (laughs) ridiculous to me. So say why. Oh my gosh, because like, how can someone assess you without like talking to you? Like, I think it's fine, Kaylee, if your policy is like, I don't do consult calls, right? Like this is all via email. And if someone was like, I really, really need to talk on the phone, you could offer them like, well, I do do a consulting hour and it's X. But I think that in that case, it's like, it actually is a consulting hour. Right. And I, that's why I asked the question, because sometimes you get on the phone and you're like, Jesus, I just did an hour of consulting and I, you know, this client ghosted me. That's a screening problem too. It's tricky. Yeah. But sometimes they trick you into it. That really doesn't happen to me. Like I have these 15 minute calls. I purposely make them 15 minutes because it's like ridiculously short. In my head, I leave 20, 25 minutes for them because they often go over, but I need the client to understand that when they're signing up, like this is a 15 minute chat. This is not like your strategic discovery call thing. Mm -hmm. And if I find the client is running long, like if I feel like they're talking, I say, excuse me, I have to stop you. I have a hard stop at whatever time. I will follow up and send you a proposal. And if you have more questions, you can ask me them via email. Like that is something that, and then if somebody does that, if somebody is like just spewing and it's insane and you feel like, oh my gosh, like I actually think that is good information because, you know, it's like that old phrase, when someone shows you who they are, believe them. Yeah. That it's like, if somebody is like that, they're going to be like that as your client. And that's not necessarily a negative if you feel like you have the processes in place to guide that client. But do you know what I'm saying? Like, if you really feel like they're just like getting all this free consulting out of you, then... I don't know. Is it a good fit? Kaylee, I'm also like, who's charging for these calls? I have seen people saying that they're doing it. Like on Twitter, I've seen people say that they charge 
And sometimes they'll even charge, like, if you don't show up for the call, there's, like, a penalty fee. Like, who the fuck is paying for that? I don't think anyone's actually... That's like getting a parking ticket at a college campus. It's like, who's going to enforce this? You're not the police. Come on. But, yeah, I think it's just worth talking about because it's something I see people saying that they're doing. And I'm like, are you really, though? This is really interesting because I was thinking about it because I recently had to find a psychiatrist. Thank you, postpartum depression. But... (laughs) had to find someone who could prescribe me medication. And I just want to say that the mental health system is very, very broke. But basically what I learned in doing this is like, in order to actually see someone who is decent, all the decent psychiatrists are in private practice, which means they're basically freelancers, more or less, right? Like they're running their own business. And their sort of standards for how they do this are different. Like you don't really get the consult call. You're paying the like three or $400 for an initial meeting. And you just kind of hope that with their credentials that they're going to be able to help you. And that is like a scenario where like they really charge. No, in psychiatry and, and psychology, like If you have an appointment and you miss it, you like pay a late cancel fee. And my husband was joking, like he had a therapist and she kept canceling. She was very pregnant and she kept canceling. And he was like, I feel like I should charge her the fee. (laughs) Right. He was kind of like, I mean, he was joking, but it was just kind of like, oh, I'm like reserving this time. And it feels like really uneven that like she can cancel, but I can't. If stuff comes up, I'm only bringing this example up to say like there are different ways to run a business. And I think in different industries, there are different standards for like what is and kind of isn't acceptable based on like what you're doing. And also like I think if you're a psychiatrist, you're dealing with people's like mental health. Like if you get someone on the phone for like a consult call, like it could be pretty lengthy. Although... Now that I say that, I did talk to two on consult calls. Oh my gosh, what am I saying? Now I'm like, (laughs) but those weren't the ones I could get in with. But anyway, it's interesting. So they even did consult calls. So I take back what I said about... Maybe we should delete everything I just said. It's the nature of this. You just, you never know. You just never know. Yeah. It's imprinted in my brain that psychiatrists like charge all of this money. And I sort of felt like... I felt like in the process that everything was a bit oriented towards making sure they made like a lot of money per hour. And I really didn't like that feeling when it came to my, like taking care of my mental health. And I guess I feel very similarly to this problem that we're talking about where someone like, I wouldn't feel really good about hiring someone if I couldn't like at least hear their voice. Yeah. I feel like it's the golden rule thing, right? Like if you don't like the way that makes you feel, if if you are on the other side of the equation, don't do it to your clients. I feel like that's a good rule of thumb. And it's expensive sometimes. It takes some time because you do get in those scenarios where you get somebody on the phone and maybe they're a really lovely person, but they don't know exactly what they want or need because they're new to the role or they're new to figuring everything out. And so it's your job as the professional to say, okay, well, here's kind of how this goes and to take the wheel. And if you're new to freelancing, that is so hard to do because you're just figuring things out too. So having those elements of screening and process in place just go so far. And I think that that's what you need to take away from this is like having that process and having those frequently asked questions even in place where you can say, 
here are some of the things that I've been asked in the past. Take a look at these. What other questions can I answer for you? That might be a good way to approach it. And I think back to what you said, and we can end on this, is I think it comes back to thinking of the freelance business that you're running as a business. Like you are not an order taker where you get on the phone with a client and they're like, I want you to do X, Y, and Z. And you're like, okay, okay. You are in the driver's seat of your business and of the relationship. So like it's on you to say, hey, our call is running late. This is all the time we have for today, right? Like you do need to practice being confident and standing up for the things that you will do and won't do and think about about it as a business, right? Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, it's not easy to do if you are not comfortable with that or you don't have a lot of practice doing it. It takes practice. It's a muscle for sure. And so I think that it's just something you need to think about and, and document a little bit. So it's, it's a little bit easier. You have a point of reference to pull from when those instances come up. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Freelance Writing Coach Podcast. If you want more tips, tricks, and resources for building your business, visit freelancewritingcoachpodcast.com.